Hi, I'm Talia Masiri, editor of Real Deals, and here is a summary of our recent Brexit roundtable, where I was joined by David Barber, managing partner at FP Capital, Ken Terry, CEO at Elysian Capital, Malcolm McDougall, partner at Stevenson Harwood, and Tom King, head of PDD at Global Council. Businesses offering services such as banking, architecture and accounting will lose their automatic rights of access to EU markets and will face some restrictions. How does the Brexit agreement as of 1st of January impact private equity and its operations overall? Malcolm, what are your thoughts on this? And Ken, perhaps you could follow. One area I think will be impacted is fundraising because um, obviously we won't have an automatic passport throughout Europe and uh, we'll probably need to uh, comply with national rules. So we just finished fundraising just before well, September, basically, um, a new fund. And we, you know, we've always deliberately been small AFID registered, you know, so we didn't have to go through the, the large AF, AFIMD, whatever the right acronym is, um, process. Um, we use reverse solicitation a lot. That's that's not going to change. Um, we have lots of pan-European investors. None of them brought up Brexit really in the process. And David, what are your thoughts on this? How did and has Brexit impacted FPE? As Ken said, uh, as soon as the the vote happened in 2016, we saw quite a significant shift in behaviour. Really, I think out of surprise and out of uncertainty. So we saw continent. We were fundraising at the time, actually, between a first and a second close, and we saw most of the continental investors, I think, just really out of shock um, and out of not really knowing where that might lead, taking a step back. And that was unhelpful to us. Our biggest issues have always been talent. And we've spent most of the last five years, we've written three studies on it with Cambridge Judge Business School. We think about it on constantly hiring strategies. And actually, probably the biggest driver on that has been COVID in terms of driving people to remote working and opening up new pockets of talent, which don't have to live five miles away. And Tom, what are your thoughts? We're now looking more to the future in terms of what we have is an agreement that gives us some level of macro stability. But within that, there is potential for micro instability. And that will that will arise from either the UK or the EU seeking to drive home an advantage through diverging from the agreement. We don't yet know where those areas are. We don't know yet how much that will be politically driven and how much that will be a consequence of, you know, sectors having advantages that are just there. And I think, you know, whether it's tech or whether it's agriculture, or whether it's gene editing, for example, there are lots of areas where the UK can potentially steal a march on Europe. And then it will be a question of whether the EU feels obliged to respond by retaliating through the measures that are in the agreement. And I think that's, we're very early in that, that period. We're very early in that process and it will, it will be intensely political and it will, in, it will require close watching uh, particularly in those sectors that are most politically sensitive. This has clearly been a problem or kind of been a restriction when it comes to COVID and fundraising and travel on that side of things. But Brexit may also impact this long term um, in terms of deal making for European firms trying to invest in businesses in the UK um, and vice versa. So have we learned something from COVID? Can we get around potential Brexit restrictions on travel via virtual deal making? Um, Malcolm, have you got any thoughts on that? The whole pandemic has made people realise you can do a lot of this stuff remotely. Um, and so if travel is curtailed, it's been massively curtailed by COVID, probably more than Brexit. So um, I think uh, that shouldn't be a problem for doing deals. And then David, I guess from, from a deal maker's perspective, 
uh, what are your views on this? Is, is virtual deal making a long-term option? Doing stuff remotely is fine when everyone's remote. As soon as we all break out and we get back to running around, you know, it feels like being in person is going to be a differentiator again. And for sure, I'm, you know, I would rather be where if I was fundraising, I'd rather be in front, physically in front of that person, knowing you've got their attention, knowing that they know you've made the effort to come and see them, you know, putting that the onus on them. And, and I don't think that's going to particularly change. And, you know, how difficult that's going to be, I'm not really sure. I haven't, I haven't, I've assumed that's going to be still possible. Uh, probably the queues at Heathrow will be the biggest issue. And Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I suppose what I was going to say was, I think it's an interesting question from a wider than Europe perspective, in that what Brexit supposedly offers uh, to the UK is an ability to look outside Europe, and the government will be very emphatic about that and will continue to try to do trade deals with other, other nations and open things up globally. I mean, they have this catchphrase, Global Britain. Uh, I, I think We've seen a couple of deals where the restrictions on travel have actually been a barrier. Um, and that has been primarily in, you know, in Asian settings where it's now impossible to go and see sites or businesses that are heavily reliant on sites and getting around and seeing how things are actually operating on the ground. So it will depend again on, on sector and also sort of geographic spread. You know, one of the things we've most encountered is reconfiguring supply chains where products are coming from China, et cetera. If you don't have people who are able to go into those countries and actually see for themselves how things are produced and what the conditions are, uh, you're gonna struggle with, you know, not necessarily the due diligence on the deal, but certainly ESG considerations later and coming to exit, that's gonna be an issue. And living or staying in an EU country for an extended period will no longer be permitted for UK citizens. So how will this impact geographic expansion for portfolio companies and setting up businesses and new sites abroad? And will international internationalisation become more challenging for UK businesses? How will restrictions on trade between the UK and Europe impact portfolio companies? Uh, Ken and then David, what do you expect? It seems to me that we're just gonna become more efficient like David said, you know, if I'm if I'm doing an add-on in Belgium or Germany or whatever, you know, I don't need to go every time to every meeting, and most of the work can be done on Zoom and stuff. But you can go for the key meeting. So, so I feel like personally, for a European, you know, from a Lycian standpoint, ninety out of one hundred days, one hundred eighty days is, I'm never going to hit that limit. That's for sure. And and you can get a quite a you know, and similarly throughout my career, I've done several buy, uh, deals in the US um, and flew in, did them, flew out. You know, I, again, it, the visa waiver seen in the US, I presume, is something that the Europeans will copy. Therefore, I, I can't see it as being a major, major factor. But maybe a perspective from some of our portfolio, who actually one of yeah. the big things we've noticed through remote working is actually, and is a switch of the world to a digital lead generation and to actually the ability to sell remotely. And I'm talking about technology context here, obviously, software and various services. And what we what we think that does is actually help level the playing field between small companies who don't have the resources to have foreign offices, lots of salespeople, et cetera. Um, and you can you can do a sales call from your office in or your home, and you can suddenly be selling to a huge corporate in the States. And it kind of has leveled the bar. And I think that's really helpful. And it, for internationalization in the portfolio, I think that will be that will be really interesting. We're starting to see quite a lot of um, momentum in our businesses already of penetrating further into markets that we thought would take longer to get into. Mm. Where you normally have to spend more time whining, dining, showing your face, third call, you get the meeting with the sales director. Now we're getting 
straight away. I mean, those people are at home, they're jumping on calls. If anything, we've had to train our sales teams to be ready that the first call might be the only call, the definitive sales call. David and Ken, how has the Brexit impact been considered when deal making? Is it an area of concern for you? Since the vote, we've been screening every deal for a Brexit kind of risk. For us, that tends to be around, you know, is it UK, completely UK focused? We've had a little bit of anxiety about that or about does it in some way touch regulation that might be EU driven? So we had a deal that was GDPR data scrubbing and there was issues around GDPR and how that would interact. In the main, we're really lucky. We don't get touched by physical goods, shipping, containers, issues like that. As a first line effect, obviously, you're always thinking about the second line effect of an economic change. Your customers are being affected. Is that going to affect everybody else? I completely agree with Tom. I think there's a kind of inflation element to this. We, we don't do any B2C e-commerce. We just do B2B. But I've heard from someone in that sector recently that a lot of Europeans are not supplying UK at the moment just because they can't be bothered with the administrative problems. Exactly the same. We every conversation is how has it Brexit affected? You know, how is it? How should we make it more resilient? Is it the right way to go? One of the things Tom mentioned, which I agree with, it's and maybe this is a domestic um, experience, but I don't think many UK retailers know how where their goods come from. And what has been a massive shock recently is, you know, certainly my wife, maybe, you know, orders things on Amazon, has no idea it actually comes from Belgium or somewhere. And then suddenly she's hit with a bill and, and returning is really difficult. And I think I think there's going to be much more, okay, well, let's find something in the UK rather than find something abroad, you know. I think that's really going to be um, one of the trends as people, okay, well, I need to think about where it's coming from because the ability to return it, the ability to get it quickly, the ability not to have hidden fees, that's going to be a big driver and we're all just we're all being shocked about that at the moment maybe i don't think anybody really realized how much when you just click on amazon where it comes from you've no idea but now you're going to know that something we all have to think about i think um i know i think it'd be beneficial to lots of uk small suppliers i think there could be i'm really hoping there's going to be a birthplace of massive new comp of lots of new companies innovative new british companies that can come out and supply this new new world really